you what's your passion today? Have you surrendered to Jesus? That's an important step in anyone's process of maturity as a Christian that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt. The number one thing in your life is, is Christ. And if someone asks you, what's your passion? Without hesitation, Jesus. He's changed my life. I surrender my selfish desires, my selfish passions to the passions of Christ. What, he, what he's passionate about. You will not regret it, my friends. Every other path leads to emptiness, destruction, but surrendering your life to Christ leads to an abundant life. With that in mind, let's pray as we open up the awesome Word of God. Amen, church? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have now to open up your Word. We surrender our lives to you, Jesus. May people around us know that nothing else is more important to us than our relationship with you. Thank you that we can meet together as brothers and sisters in this church family outside in your beautiful creation, God. You are truly awesome. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, today I want to begin a mini summer prophecy series. We're going to get back to the book of Acts later. But so many people have been asking me, Mel, everything that's going on, is this all part of the end times? Are these some of the signs that we should be looking for? And I thought, you know what? This would be a great time, sitting outside in God's creation, to do a summer prophecy series. Amen, church? Amen. We're going to learn about Jesus' second coming. And it would be a mistake to think that things are going to continue the way they are today for thousands and thousands of years and never change. It would be a mistake to think that way. That things will never change. Believe me, a change is coming. We don't know exactly when. We're not sure. If you believe that it's wrong to set dates about Jesus coming, please remain seated. Amen. That's all of us, right? We should not set dates. If I told you that Jesus was going to return May 1st, 2021, you can almost be certain that is not going to be the date. Amen. So many people have made that mistake. People have set dates. Jesus told us not to do that. In fact, he said there's only one person that knows the date of his return. Who is that? The Father, exactly. He's the only one. Jesus limited his knowledge of that one event. Only the Father knows. It's wrong to set that date. I'm thinking of the Jehovah Witnesses. They uh, said years ago that Jesus would return in 1914. That didn't happen. So they said, oh, we, we kind of miscalculated. It's going to happen in 1917. It didn't happen then either. Then they came back and said, you know what? We were right to begin with. Jesus' return happened in 1914, but it was a spiritual return, not a physical return. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 1. We talked about it briefly when we were talking about the unstoppable church. Acts chapter 1 says this, and I love how the book of Acts starts out. It gives us the mission for the church. Acts 1 tells us exactly what we should do. People say to me, Mel, what's the vision of Riverview Church? I always tell them verses like this in the Great Commission, right? But Acts 1.8 says this. This is Jesus speaking. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Does anybody remember the Greek word that's used there? Yeah, martyreo. 
Martyreo is the Greek word. It means to be a witness for Christ. But it became so common that if you witnessed for Jesus, you often died. So Martyreo took on this new meaning of being a martyr for Christ. We get the word from witnesses in the Greek languages. So it says this, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That would be like saying in Bonzel, because that's where they were when they were hearing this. You're going to be my witnesses right here where you're at. Then it says, in all Judea and Samaria. Those are like counties in Israel. That will be like saying in San Diego County and Los Angeles County. Right? You're going to take it even further than where you live exactly. And then it says what? To the ends of the earth. That's our mission. We're not only to enjoy the fact that we know Jesus Christ, we've been transformed by his power. We know exactly why Jesus came, right? He came as the sacrifice for your sins and mine. And I would pray that the most important day in your life was the day that you realized that Jesus laid down his life for you. He paid for your sins. When he died on the cross... He was not some poor martyr misunderstood by his time. And sadly, that's how his life ended. That's not the story of Jesus, right? The story of Jesus is this. He was God in flesh. He came as the sacrifice for your sins and mine. Our loving God, who is all loving, is also a just God and demanded a payment for our sin. So he gave the very best that he had. He gave his only son for you. And that by simple faith in the fact that when Jesus hung on the cross, he did it willingly as the Lamb of God that took away your sins and mine. If you believe that today, the day you believe that, that's the greatest day of your life. I say this to my wife all the time. The second greatest day of my life was the day I met her. I think, well, no, no, you should say it's the first, the greatest day of your life. That should be the greatest day. No, because that minimizes the impact of Jesus on my life and on yours as well. The greatest day in your life was when you came to faith in Jesus Christ and you understood why he came, right? That's our mission. Then he goes on and says this in the Bible. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, obviously two angels, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? They're they're looking up into heaven. Jesus ascended up into the clouds, and they're saying like, Wow, man, it's been like 15 minutes that Jesus is gone. When is he coming back? (laughs) I know. That's a bang, man. What's that? The whole tent is going to lift up because it's such powerful stuff. So when is he coming back? And these angels said, why are you looking up into heaven? Do what Jesus told you to do. Go into Jerusalem. Then he says this. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in what? The same way. Right? He went up into the clouds. Could they see him? Was it a physical return? I mean, ascent into heaven? Yes, it was. They physically saw him rise up into the clouds. He will physically come back in the same way. You'll see him when he comes back. 
It'll be a physical return, not a spiritual one. A change is coming. We don't know exactly when, but it's coming. People have said to me, Mel, are we in the last days? Well, yes, we are. Look in Acts chapter 2, right? The church is born. You know what happens when the church is born, right? The Holy Spirit does something he had never done up until this, this time. Under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the hearts and lives of believers. He lives within you. That wasn't true of Old Testament believers. He lives in you. Therefore, you can have a direct relationship with God because you have been made holy by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. You have direct access to Jesus. Now look at when uh, the church is born in Acts chapter 2, Peter gives up and gets up and says these things. This is what he says when he's explaining what happens in verse 16 in Acts 2. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Joel was a prophet that spoke about 700 years before the return of Christ. This is what he said about what was happening in Acts chapter 2. Joel said this, In these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter said, hey, what you're seeing here with the Holy Spirit descending on all these believers? That's exactly what Joel talked about in the Old Testament. In the last days, this will happen. So we certainly are in the last days. But we don't know exactly when Jesus will return. But he will. He will come back. Don't doubt it. Now let's turn to Matthew 24. We're going to turn to a number of different passages today. Bring your Bibles next week because we'll be turning to some passages talking about the second coming of Christ, talking about the rapture, talking about the Antichrist. What will he be like? So it's important you bring your Bibles. Acts 24, I mean Matthew 24, verse 1 says this. Jesus left the temple. And as he was going away, when his disciples came to him to point out the buildings of the temple. Jesus is walking out of the temple and the disciples say, hey Jesus look at this amazing temple we built. Isn't it impressive? Look at this. But Jesus answered them. You see all these, do you? Truly I say to you, there will not be one stone left upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus says to him, hey, you're proud of your accomplishments of building this building? Let me give you a little prophecy. Every stone of the temple will be thrown down to the ground. When was that fulfilled, by the way? In 70 AD, when the Romans attacked Jerusalem, and the Roman general ordered that all the gold be stripped from the temple. They burned it. The gold melted between the stones. He ordered every stone to be taken off the other so that he could get the gold from the temple. Perfectly fulfilling what Jesus prophesied. Well, that stirred up some desire for the disciples to know more about prophecy. So then they said this in Matthew 24, as they are with Jesus. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. What's the first sign that we should be looking for of the coming of Christ? 
Yeah, false Christ, false messiahs. Are there false messiahs all around the world today? Absolutely. Have there been up to this point people saying, hey, I'm the messiah. I have God's truth. Yeah, Jesus was okay, but I'm even better. Yeah, that's been happening more and more through time. The first sign is false Christ. Then verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. Are there rumors of wars and conflict all around the world today? Absolutely. I was just reading about China and India and China, Bangladesh, tensions rising between these two nuclear powers. Middle East, Russia aligning with Syria and Iran, just like the Bible prophesies, lining up against Israel. That's a powder keg at any time could break into a war. Tensions rising all around the world. Then it says this, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be, here's the next sign, famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. He kind of makes an allegory of, of the birth of a child, right? Just like a pregnant woman has birth pains, the, the birth is coming, but not quite yet. That's what Jesus is saying. There are famines and earthquakes that will happen. Are earthquakes on the increase? Absolutely. I've read article after article about how seismologists are saying, yeah, earthquakes and the number of them are increasing around the world. Then it says this in verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Now, this isn't the great tribulation, but it's saying you're going to have problems. Is that happening around the world? Yeah, probably an average. Let me tell you this. This is amazing to think about. Uh, on average, about 200 people every day are martyred because they claim the name of Christ. We, we don't think there's much tribulation going on because we live in this country of America. But things, by the way, are changing here as well, my friends. Believe me. Believe me. There will be a time when a pastor like me, and it could be in my lifetime easily, that what I say about the message of Jesus will be considered hate speech, and I could be arrested for it. We're heading in that direction. It's happening in countries now around the world. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You'll be hated by all my nation, all nations for my name's sake. And many will fall away and betray one another. There's another sign. A falling away of people from God. Not, not, not holding fast to their beliefs. And they'll betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased. What's word, what word do you hear talked about all the time on news stations? I have a newspaper in my bag. The cover is about increasing lawlessness in Seattle. Lawlessness is a word that we're talking about all the time now. We're hearing about it all the time, perfectly matching what Jesus tells us is going to happen near the end. And the love of many will go cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, then the end will come. Jesus says the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the world. Has that been done? Yeah, many scholars believe that's been done through the internet, through radio, that virtually every country of the world has heard the gospel. It's been preached throughout the world. 
Now, these are the signs of the return of Christ. And we know it hasn't happened yet because we haven't seen it. Just like Acts 1 says, you will see him come back in the clouds. Now, let me say this. There are many different views about the second coming of Christ represented here. That's okay. We have many different views here. There are people who are pre-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-trib, pre-millennialism, post-millennialism. We're going to talk about what those are as we go through the series. But I would love for every one of you to study the Word of God and come to the position that you hold. Don't just hold the position because, hey, I I heard a a Bible teacher that I like say one time that he's pre-trib. So I'm pre-trib. Have you studied it? Have you looked into it? If you have, believe me, there are many pre-trib folks here at Riverview, and that's great. It's not a core doctrine of what we believe. There are core doctrines that we would die for. What, what are some of those core doctrines? Anybody know? What's one core doctrine? Save by faith alone. Thank you, Ivan. Save by faith alone. If somebody came to Riverview Church and said, hey, you're not saved by faith alone. You're not saved by faith alone. You're saved by doing these six or seven things. That will get you to heaven. Well, right away, we would say, hey, that, <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. I mean, the Bible is so clear that it's not by works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift of God. Nothing you can do to earn your salvation. You might say, well, Mel, that doesn't seem to fit what I like to do. I want to earn my salvation. I want to earn it. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says it is the gift of God. And I've often done the illustration of giving someone a gift, a free gift, right? And then once I give it to them, I say to them, that'll be $20 for that free gift. Is it a free gift anymore? No. If I said that'll be $1 for that free gift, is it a gift anymore? No. That's exactly what Romans means when Romans says, if you add anything to grace, you destroy it. If I even said that'll be one penny for that Bible, is it a gift anymore? No. You've added to grace. See, the beauty of the gospel, and I hope you all sense it here today, the freedom of Jesus is this. By faith in his work on the cross, you are set free. It's not about doing to earn your way to heaven. The reason why you want to be like Jesus is because he's given you the gift of eternal life and you love him so much, you want to be like him. Not to earn heaven, but because you already have it. The reason why I want to make sure everyone understands that is because your faith in Christ is the most important issue of your life. Saved by faith alone not by works. Please don't, if you stand before God, say, God, I deserve heaven. I've been a good person all my life. Totally contrary to the word of God. You would say instead, Lord, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he forgave my sins. And for that reason, I'm adopted into your family and into heaven by the grace of God. It's a beautiful, beautiful gospel message. What's another key doctrine of Riverview Church? Yeah, the deity of Jesus Christ, right? The deity of Christ. A lot of people say, well, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't God. If somebody came into Riverview Church and said that, we would ask them to leave. 
That, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible makes it really clear that Jesus is God in flesh. Why that's so important is because when you diminish Jesus, all of a sudden the death on the cross doesn't work. If he's just a person, then he can die maybe if he's sinless for one other person. And everyone who denies the deity of Christ, the next domino to fall is a salvation by works. Hey, good example. Jesus, as this man who obeyed God, but he didn't pay for my sins. I've got to earn my way to heaven. That's the next step that always follows in these groups that deviate from the clear teaching of God's word. So important for you to understand that. The deity of Christ, the fact that he is a person of infinite value, he can pay for your sins and mine. Another key doctrine will be the authority of God's word. Please don't approach the Bible and say, hey, I like this page, but I don't like this one, and I'm going to rip it out of my Bible. I like this verse, but I don't like that one. I'm going to rip it out of my Bible. I've heard people say that to me. I've had people say to me, I think I've shared this with you in the past, I've heard this quite often, Mel, I only believe in the red words of the Bible. What are they saying? Yeah, there are Bibles that, maybe some of you have them. It's called the Red Letter Edition. All the words of Jesus are in red. And people have said to me, I just believe in the red words of the Bible. The problem with that is, Jesus is the living Logos Word of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? He's the living Logos of God. Therefore, the entire Bible are the words of Jesus. He inspired God's word. So we need to take the full counsel of God's word, and it's beautiful, my friends. Written over 1,600 years, and yet gives one very concise, uniform message about God and how to go to heaven. It's an awesome book. Don't tear out this verse. Tear out this sheet. Take the whole counsel of the word of God. And you know what's beautiful about the second coming of Christ? We don't know exactly when it's going to happen. So in every context where the Bible talks about the second coming of Christ, there's always a follow-up statement that says, and in light of Jesus coming back, this is how you should live. The fact that Jesus is returning, this is how you should live. When I was in college, I played uh, basketball. And I had a great college basketball coach. Loved him. Great coach. But there were times when we would have practice and he would have to go to his office and get a few important phone calls or have a brief meeting with someone. So he would say to us, I'm leaving practice, but I want you to work on this drill. Then after you work on that for 15, 20 minutes, I want you to work on that drill. And we would say, Coach, how long will you be gone for? He said, I'm not telling you. I could come back at any time. And if you're not working on the drill, you will run. You will run. And there would be times he'd leave, and he'd be gone for five minutes. We're like, man, he's going to go for like an hour. And we would be loafing and just talking and not doing the drill. He'd come back in the gym, see what was happening, that we didn't do what he told us to do, and we would be running sprints. It taught us, hey, when our coach leaves, we don't know when he's coming back, so we have to do what he says, to do what he's called us to do. Same is true when we consider the coming of Christ. There is a mission that we have. It's a wonderful mission. We're not to say, hey, man, I'm just going to lay back, wait till Jesus comes, and not do a thing. 
No, instead our attitude should be, Jesus is coming back, the time is limited, God has called the church to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We've got to be part of that. We've got to do it. We have a job to do. And Jesus talks about his coming. Let's go back to Matthew 24. We're going to spend a few weeks talking about prophecy. Then it says this. So when you see the abomination of desolation, Jesus says. You might say, abomination of desolation? What what is that? What is he talking about? It even gives an explanatory note here in the text. Spoken of by the prophet who? Daniel. Anybody know what chapter that prophecy is in in the book of Daniel? Daniel 9. Daniel talks about the Antichrist coming and setting himself up as God in the temple and making people worship him in the temple, the abomination of desolation. The fact that someone would go into the temple of God and demand that people worship him. Jesus says it's going to happen, just like Daniel talked about. Prophet Daniel in the Old Testament, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one in the housetop not go down for what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his coat. Jesus is saying, when you see that, you know that destruction is coming. The end is near. When you see the Antichrist set himself up in the temple in Israel and make people worship him, the end is very near. By the way, if the Antichrist is going to be in the temple setting himself up as God, what has to be built in Jerusalem? The temple, exactly. Are there forces in Jerusalem today that desperately want to rebuild the Jerusalem temple? Yes. Just go online. Every political uh, candidate running for office in Jerusalem, part of his platform or her part platform, was the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, People have said, and there are articles about this, that the stones have already been cut. And when permission is given to rebuild the temple, it will happen very quickly. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is a parallel passage about the coming of the Lord. Says this. Verse, we're going to start at verse 16. For the Lord himself, Paul writes, will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Where are we going to meet the Lord? In the air, right. So Jesus says it in Matthew 24. If somebody says, hey, Jesus is down at Riverview Village, at River Village down here, Jesus is down there. The Bible says, don't believe them. Hey, he's over in the mall over here in, in, in Escondido. No, don't believe them. Jesus, when he returns, will not touch the earth. He will rapture the church to himself right? He'll rapture the church to himself. They will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now, people have said to me, hey, Mel, the word rapture, we've talked about a lot, right? 
You hear, I saw um, a car this week in front of me. It had a bumper sticker. It said, if the rapture happens, this car is yours, was his bumper sticker. And I'm like, man, it was a nice car. I'll take it. Oh, yeah, I won't be here. If the rapture happens, this car is yours. Why? What is that, what is that all about? People have said to me, Mel, that's so mystical. That's so miraculous. That's so weird. People being caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord. What underlying attitude is represented by that question? Yeah, God's not big enough. Hey, Mel, here's the Bible clearly says that Christians will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, perfectly matching, by the way, what happened in Acts 1. Jesus ascended to the clouds. He'll come back in the clouds, perfectly matching that. And people say to me, Mel, how can God do that? That's, That's just like too miraculous. Here's the bottom line belief uh, behind that question. The bottom line belief is, my God is too small to do certain things. My God can't do things like that. I've had people laugh at me when I, uh, I've been asked, hey, do you believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish? Absolutely, I'll say, 100%. They'll laugh at me. I had one guy break out over at the Z Cafe in loud laughter about that. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. I asked them the next question. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. Do you believe that he created everything? Yeah. Here's the bottom line of what we should know in our hearts. If you can get past Genesis 1-1, which says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. About how many galaxies are there, folks? 400 billion galaxies. We're in the Milky Way galaxy. About how many stars are in this one galaxy? About 400 billion stars. I said to that person in the Z Cafe, if you can believe in God and you can get past Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Every other miracle in the Bible is easy for God. God causing a fish to swallow Jonah and keeping him alive in that fish, God had his feet up on that one. That was easy for him. He created 400 billion galaxies. Your God is way too small. See, if God says he's going to catch up believers in the air to meet him in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord, God has no problem doing it. Don't have a God that is so small. I don't want to believe in a God like that. I want to believe in the God of the Bible who says he will do exactly what he promises. In fact, the Bible says all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. We're going to be caught up together with Jesus in the air. When will that happen? I don't know exactly, but it will happen. Nothing stops God. Nothing slows him down. It says this, We who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. Encourage one another with these words. In light of that, encourage one another. That's what I hope you feel today. Encouragement in a God who is not a small God. Encouragement to believe in a God who is an awesome God. Encouragement to believe in a God who will fulfill every single promise, and He is worthy of your life, my friends. Do not follow the thinking of this world. Look all around you and see God's creativity, His beauty all around you. Never doubt it. 
because we serve an awesome God. Next week, we're going to talk about more of the prophecies of God. We're going to talk about the rapture, a couple of views about it, and uh, uh, share verses that talk about that. But I hope today you leave believing in an awesome God that he died on the cross for you and loves you with a reckless love like we sang about this morning. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. And Lord, I thank you for your word and how it is so uniform, so consistent, giving one message about your coming that you will return. Lord, I pray for everyone that's here today. May they know in this place that they're in the presence of a God who loves them unconditionally, who loved them all the way to the cross. And Lord, I pray as we leave this place that we would be encouraged by the awesome God that you are. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you. Thank you that we can have church in the park and worship you for the amazing God that you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Let's sing, let the glory of the Lord. Let the glory of your name. (laughs) 